purpose is to encourage each of us to use wisdom to help us thrive in this dangerous and unjust world. And then the second part, but at the same time to realize there are simply some things in life that will not make sense, some things in life that we're not going to be able to fix this side of heaven. And I think that's going to be pretty clear in the text. So let's begin with the first part, using wisdom to help us to thrive in this dangerous and unjust world. Starting with verse 1, two rhetorical questions. Who is like the wise? And the answer is no one. The second part, who knows the explanation of things? And again, the answer is no one. However, Solomon lacked a particular piece of wisdom in writing this. You see, he's writing from a worldview. And his only image of God here is Elohim, the mighty God. So he doesn't have any understanding of a relational God. And what he's missing is the peace of Jesus Christ, whom Jesus has made it possible through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit to, for us who are surrendered to the Lord to have special insight as we do life on this planet. And that's why 1 Corinthians 2.16, and I would encourage you to read that whole section, but simply it says, we have the mind of Christ. So that in Christ, we no longer have to operate out of just this limited worldly view, but through the Holy Spirit, we can actually begin to know God's voice. We can actually begin to understand God's thoughts, God's plans, and what God is up to so that we can participate in what God is doing. But it requires something of us. And what it requires is what I call TOG. Capital T, capital A, capital W, capital G. Time alone with God. And the application here this morning is are you spending that time with God so that you can begin to know his voice, so that you can begin to understand his thoughts, his actions, and his will, and then you can begin to join him there. It's a benefit that has been afforded to all believers. Let's go on, verse 1. A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its heart appearance. That's especially true in Jesus Christ as our countenance begins to change because of the Holy Spirit, God's glory within us. All right, verse 2. Now he gets really specific about some of the injustice in the world. Obey the king's command. Why? Well, because you took an oath before God. Now, we don't understand this, but in the culture in which this was written, when a new king was commissioned to, to his position, the people who would be under him would swear their allegiance to that king before God. And so what the author is saying is obey the king for this reason, if for nothing else. Get this. It's not going to always be convenient to obey those in authority. Huh? Yeah. But because of that allegiance, obey. But get the rest of this. Verse 3. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause. What does that tell us? It tells us there are good causes worth standing for. Just make sure you have the right cause. Uh, for he, for the king, will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? <laughs> so wisdom says it's not a good idea to argue with the king. 
But if you're bringing a case before the king, something that's controversial and maybe goes against friends, you better be wise because in this culture, these kings were not voted into office and they had the power to have you killed on a whim. So keeping that in mind, it says, if, you, if he doesn't support your cause when you stand before him, don't go stand, storming out of the room. It's just not a good idea. Well, this applies in our lives and how we deal with those in public office, those voted into positions, but it also applies to how we relate with God because it's so easy to get frustrated when things don't go the way we think they should. In a sense, we go storming out of God's presence, but the same thing applies in our relationships over the littlest things. We get frustrated and we, we, we just walk away. And we need to stop and ask the question, is this thing that I'm dividing this relationship over really worth all of this frustration? So it's a good thought that we see right here. So let's be gracious to one another, realizing that we don't have the power to change each other, but only to represent our positions and then just to leave it there. Verse 5, whoever obeys the king's command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. So as we've been saying, wisdom sees that there's, there's a proper cause. There are proper causes for which to approach the king, but there's also a proper way and a proper time. I was thinking about Queen Esther. If, uh, if you haven't read the story, go to the Old Testament and read about Esther. Because there comes a time when a wicked man named Haman, who's the right-hand man to King Xerxes, devises a plan to have all the Jewish people killed. And Esther's uncle Mordecai catches wind of this. And so she comes to Esther, or so he comes to Esther and he says, you're in a position to help your people. And who knows but that God has put you in such a position as this for such a time as this. And the first thing Esther does in response to that is she calls all the Jewish people to pray and to fast. And out of that, she approaches the king, her husband, who has the power to take her life if he doesn't accept her, with the proper cause, in the proper time, and in the proper way. And as a result, she saves all the Jewish people. And the only one who goes to those gallows is that evil man, Haman. So proper time. And the application here, use wisdom when defending your causes. So in this dangerous and unjust world, there are proper ways of dealing with difficult situations. But let's go to the second part of this, okay? Use wisdom not only to help you thrive in this dangerous and unjust world, but also realize there are simply some things that are not going to make sense, some things that you simply will not be able to fix this side of heaven. Verse 6. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Interesting statement there. But first, consider this. When we were in chapter 3, we saw that there's a proper time for everything. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There's a time to celebrate. There's a time for grief, so on and so forth. You might know the song from the 60s. In fact, we sang it that week. But right here we see that there's a, a proper time to confront a bad situation, a proper time to go to those in office to deal with something that's difficult, although in your waiting, those in leadership may be making your life miserable. 
all right? For those of us who pay quarterly taxes, Monday, this Monday is a miserable day, amen? Yeah, June 15th, here we go again, right? So the way they make our lives miserable can be through too much tax, uh, too big of government programs where you can't even seem to uh, get anything done as quickly as you should be able to get things done, or uh, rules that are way too oppressive. And then I've added one, all this with no accountability whatsoever to where we saw earlier, they can do whatever they want. Well, it says right here, don't be too hasty in dealing with these situations. There's a proper time, but in the meantime, looking at Esther, are you praying about that situation? Have you honestly been in prayer? And uh, cross-referencing to the New Testament, the Bible says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Pray for those who are in positions of leadership. Back to our text. Let's just keep working this. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is, what is to come so that no one can control the future? But what about the present day? Keep reading. As no one has power over what? The wind. Yeah, don't you wish we did here in Estes Park sometimes? Yeah. Power over the wind. No one has power to contain it. So no one has power over the time of their death. As no one, has, uh, no one is discharged in time of war. And if you give into wickedness, notice that, you will be controlled by wickedness. You will have no way of walking away from it. I found that interesting because last week we dealt with paradox and we wonder sometimes, why does it seem that the righteous people suffer and the wicked people get away with so much? But right here, this verse says that they're, they're in an oppression that you may not be able to see. So be careful with envy because you don't know what's going on in their worlds. Verse 9. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Can you believe that? That sometimes leaders actually have ill intentions that aren't necessarily best for the people? That's what it's saying right here. Get this quote that I found when I was studying. It says this, under capitalism, man exploits man. Under communism, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah, I, I knew I'd have to give you some time on that one. <laughs> the reason is, is corruption in government is universal regardless of what form that government may be. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. All right, verse 10. Then too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. How is it that horrible leaders still get a big parade when they die? And then he says, this too is meaningless. Verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Man, there's so much good stuff in this passage, you know. Leaders have to be held accountable. How did the genocides happen in Africa? How did the Holocaust ever get started? How do these things happen? It's because leadership is not being held accountable. 
So here we have these paradoxes, these apparent contradictions that we wonder what is going on. We taught on that last week. I'd encourage you to get that teaching. But I want to come down toward the end of this teaching right now because there's a couple of really valuable applications we still need to see. So recognize we're going to see a couple of paradoxes. We dealt with that last week. Hold on. You know, life in an unjust world. But get these applications as we go. Verse 12. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, know this, it will still go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not be lengthened like a shadow. Verse 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve... And the wicked who get what the righteous deserve, this too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Verse 16, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, People getting no sleep day and night. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their effort to search it out, no one can discover its meaning, even if the wise claim they know, claim they, know they cannot really comprehend it. So what we see here, is that there are simply some things this side of heaven that we are not going to be able to understand. There are simply some things this side of heaven that we are not going to be able to fix. And while wisdom may make life better for the person who, ans who walks in wisdom, it's still not going to answer all of their questions. So please don't wear yourself out in your effort to try to grab a hold of it all, in your effort to try to understand it all, and in your effort to fix it all. But instead, and here's the application, learn to enjoy the simple things in life. Did you hear that? Learn to enjoy the simple things in life. It's not going to fix all the wrongs. It's not going to answer all the questions, but it may strengthen you to be more effective for the glory of God as you do life on this fallen planet. Besides, life will be a whole lot more fun, and according to what I read here, you'll get a whole lot better sleep. Okay? Yeah, did you catch that in there? Do you remember a few weeks ago when we got to the part about eating and drinking for the first time and I just went out about how much I love to eat? Eating is one of the great pleasures of life. Would you agree? Yeah. Is anybody excited that we're having a barbecue today after church? Yeah. I don't hear it coming this direction. Thank God for blowing the smoke that way, right? But great sleep. Isn't that right up there with eating? Wouldn't you say... And I ask that question, and I know some of us here are saying, well, I don't even know what that's like anymore because I haven't gotten great sleep in a long, long time. Or if you happen to get away from things and you get a great night's sleep, oh, man, you just relish it. I slept so great. Well, thinking about our passage and our scripture, could it be that there's something you're trying to fix 
Could it be that there's something you're trying to make sense of and put together that's beyond your limited understanding? And it's this point where I'm reminded of the scripture that we say every week here when we're casting our cares before the Lord, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Don't forget that. You know, this, this verse, uh, eat, drink, and be glad. There have been some Bible scholars who have suggested that this is pointing to a hedonistic uh, life of revelry. And nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from understanding the scripture. There are places where that's true. For example, Isaiah 22, 13 says, uh, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's suggesting a party type lifestyle that says, hey, we're rejecting God, so we might as well just live it up because we don't know when this life is going to end. But this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, if it does anything, it should help us to realize that... Life is too short to mess it up with all the worry or mess it up with what you don't have because what we have, we have the privilege of a rich and powerful king, Solomon, who could have anything he wanted, anything he could imagine, anything he could dream. It was at his disposal and he kept coming up empty. But what he says to us again and again and again, enjoy the simple things. Because all that stuff that you think you need that you don't have, it just doesn't work. So here we come now to these two conclusions. But isn't that worthwhile right there? Don't you need to hear that? Yes, I do too. Yeah, but I want you to see these, these two conclusions. In verse 12, in a fallen world, righteous people seem to get what wicked people deserve, and wicked people seem to get what righteous people deserve. But notice this says, but st things still go better for those who reverence God, for those who fear God. And then in verse 15, we came to this mandate that we've already talked about, eating and drinking and enjoying life, eat, drink, and be merry kind of a, a thing. And then this promise, joy will accompany you as you walk out this gift of life God has given to you. If you recall last week when we were talking about paradox, we refer to what David said in the 73rd Psalm when he's asking this question like with great urgency, why do wicked people seem to do so well? Why do people who reject God seem to do so well? And then he makes this statement from, this is from last week, but it's verse 13, the first part, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Do you hear that? Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. What benefit is there? But then he thinks about it a little bit more and he starts to realize there truly are some benefits in seeking God. And I want you to hear these. Listen to them. Okay, this is from that same Psalm, Psalm 73, starting with verse 23. Listen to this. Talking to God, he says this. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand, by my strong hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Going on. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
So you see, even though all the wisdom, all the godly wisdom in the world won't answer all the questions and it won't fix everything, there are still some huge benefits in walking with God and walking in wisdom. I want to turn these verses into questions and I want you to consider them between, before God, just between you and Him. Think about this psalm and what we just read in the form of questions and listen. And I'm asking myself the same questions. Are you confident that God is always with you? Are you enjoying that peace of his presence? Are you convinced that God has hold of your right hand, your strong hand? Are you experiencing that kind of security in your life? Does God guide you through life, in your decisions? Do you have hope of future glory? Is your walk with God the most important thing in your life? Is God truly your strength and your portion? Meaning more than anything else you need in life, you need Him. And if you answer no to any one of those questions, what God wants you to know today is he wants to be that very thing to you. And I take you back to that tog, time alone with God. Get to know him. If you haven't come home, if you're still going your own way, see God's hand, grab a hold of it and say, I don't want to go my own way anymore, Lord. I want to go where you're going. Take me with you. It's a picture of repentance. I'm following you. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. Father, thank you that in this difficult and unjust world, unjust world, Lord, that we can have this wisdom, security knowing that you're with us, but wisdom to guide us along the way. Lord, today there might be someone who's been walking independent of you. And today they're saying, boy, I want to know a God like that. Reveal yourself to them, Lord, in a real way. Draw them to the cross and help them to find Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're awesome. We give you praise. We celebrate your goodness. Thank you, Jesus.